0: The story you're about to hear was told to me in the strictest of confidence. Certain names, dates, and locations may have been changed to protect that confidence. Events that feature in this story may be part of the public record. If you believe you recognise any of the people, places, or events that feature in this story, I ask you not to reveal any information publicly, out of respect for the subject's right to remain anonymous. (laughs) My name is David Paul Nixon, and this is the New Ghost Stories Podcast, where we delve into the New Ghost Stories archive to hear witness accounts of the supernatural. Stories that could be delusions, lies, fantasies, or perhaps even the real thing. Just don't make your mind up until you've listened. The world is full of living ghosts. People who exist on the fringes, just out of sight. People who are easy to see if you want to look for them. People with complex problems, mental and or physical. Sometimes they're obvious. They're sitting in a doorway or passed out on a bench in the middle of the day. Sometimes they're a little harder to spot, perhaps behind a broken window in a house where the garden is overgrown. Or maybe they're with someone, but their head is bowed. Their eyes are to the floor and they Staying silent. We know suffering when we see it, yet mostly we prefer not to. We know these people are there, but we don't want to get involved. To reach out and take a chance involves a risk. A chance that we might have to put something on the line and experience some awkwardness, some difficulty. Spend some of our precious time. Far easier to ignore a problem. Far easier to turn our eyes away and hope someone else will take care of it. The sad thing is that sometimes it really doesn't take much to make a difference. A few words, a moment or two of your time, a little generosity. The smallest of things can make a troubled life easier. It can give a little hope to the hopeless. But it's still easier to just walk by and not notice as if what we have planned and we intend to do with our time is so much more important than the welfare or suffering of another. I'm not one to point fingers, of course, I'm no different. Reaching out to other people is something I've never been good at. But when you write so much about ghosts, it's hard not to ruminate on the consequences of isolation. Ghosts aren't public creatures. If we see them at all, it's invariably when we're alone, and it's quite typical for those who do see them to already be in a state of distress, as if it takes some great personal crisis for contact to take place. There are times when we can be so desperate to have company, to not be on our own, that we can either create a presence in our mind or somehow summon it from somewhere beyond. Today's case is one of the longest in the New Ghost Stories archive. It begins during someone's childhood and continues into their adolescence. Because when there's no intervention, suffering and abuse, they just carry on. The subject whose story I tell in this episode responds to their problems by retreating from the world, a defense mechanism that's common. And as you listen to their words, you'll no doubt ask yourself what's real and what isn't. This is a case where it's hard to know where fantasy begins and ends. The subject is conscious of creating a fantasy world for themselves, but they draw a distinct line between what they have imagined and what they have experienced. You may find it difficult to do that. You will want to consider carefully what you hear. Though there is much ambiguity, A great many of the events in this case are absolutely verifiable, I can assure you. Those details are extraordinary and devastating enough on their own. Because of its length, this story is going to be split over two episodes, with the conclusion going live next month, a fittingly epic way to finish the second season of the podcast. As before, there will still be content to bridge the gap between seasons. I'll be publishing a new bonus episode in August and I'll be running a poll soon on my Twitter to choose which story I read from a selection of classics. So keep an eye out for that and follow me, if you haven't already, at Stories. And now to our story. I will leave the final judgement as to what exactly occurred, as always, to you. What I will say is that there is almost no situation in life that can't be improved with just a little moment of kindness and that it is worth being kind to even the smallest of creatures. This is New Ghost Stories case number 246. It's called Prince of Foxes, and you can listen to part one in full after these messages. Before we begin, I'd just like to ask a little favour. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. It really helps people to find the podcast and that in turn makes it easier to produce more episodes in the future. Thank you. And now, onto the story. Just a heads up to say that the narrator of this story is female. When I was little, I used to watch the foxes playing at night. They weren't playing, not really. They were scavenging or hunting or whatever. But to me it looked like they were playing games. I used to give them names but I couldn't really tell them apart. They could do whatever they wanted, and, in my head, they were all friends, having good times together. I'd watched them from my bedroom window after Nan put me to bed. On the other side of the fence at the end of her garden was this unused land where there was a disused railway line. You could still hear trains, there was a line running a bit further away, but this part was dead and overgrown with grass and weeds. It probably really upset people in the neighbourhood, but no one did anything about it. I'd sit up late and watch the foxes appear and disappear, crawl under or climb Nan's fence and disappear into this world under the grass that was theirs. A secret world. I used to think about it and dream about it a lot when I was growing up, because there was nothing I wanted to do more than just disappear. I loved my Nan. She was the best thing in my life. My parents would drop me off at hers when it suited them and she would look after me and everything would suddenly be normal. There'd be breakfast in the morning, my lunch would be ready to take to school, my shirt and my skirt would be cleaned and ironed. I'd be at school by nine and I'd be picked up at 3.30, it was all predictable and stable. She cared for me, looked after me properly. When I was with mum and dad I never knew what was going on. Sometimes mum might get me from school. Sometimes I might have to wait ages. Sometimes dad would get me. Sometimes I might get picked up by someone that worked for him, who I'd never even met before. My teachers would have to call him to check I wasn't being handed over to some pedo who'd come in off the street. When I got handed over to my nan, I knew what was going on. Mum and dad were getting rid of me. So I'd scream and I'd cry and whinge, but that never made a difference. My parents, who were supposed to love me, wanted to pass me over to someone else, an old lady who was strict and wasn't much fun. But then I'd get used to it. I'd suddenly know what it was like to have a real parent, someone who looked after you, someone who cared about you and paid attention to you, helped you with your homework. That can't have been easy getting me to do homework. Mum and Dad didn't really care, so I didn't care either. But then my Nan started making me do it, and started to get on my case if I didn't. And I got to like the attention. Didn't get much of that at home. Dad was a criminal. He owned a garage which was his legitimate business. And I guess you could probably get your car fixed there. But the parts were probably stolen. And he might steal bits of your car without you noticing, like your airbags. Dad never did any of the work. I never saw him get his hands dirty. All the work was done by teenagers and a few other hangers-on. Creepy old guys were names like Mick and Dave and Keith. They'd check out the cars and then go to the office and tell Dad a bunch of stuff. Dad would come out and spout a load of bull to the owner. Make it out it was worse than it was but you were lucky because he just happened to have the parts you needed. So it was going to be expensive, but not as expensive as it could have been, and at least you'd get it done today. You went in to get your spark plugs changed, and left with a new gearbox, windscreen, wheel rims and exhaust, and new spark plugs that didn't work properly. That was just his regular work. He did other stuff too. He never told me exactly how he was making his money but he wasn't that bothered about keeping it secret. He'd boast if he thought he was on to a winner, especially if he really got one over someone. I know he was into stolen goods, stolen cars, obviously, and he did drugs too, both sold and took them. Picked up on all sorts of things, not that I really understood them at the time. You don't know what's normal when you're little, not until you see it, and then you know you're the one who's different. Nan was careful not to say bad things about Mum and Dad. She was good like that. But I knew. And there'd be these little comments here and there. She was afraid to upset them. Mum was vindictive. If they rowed, she'd threaten not to bring me over. But that wouldn't last because it was too easy for them to dump me there. They didn't always tell her that they were bringing me over. They might just show up. But Nan was always happy to have me. Can't have been easy for her to bite her tongue. She was a tough woman, my nan, a real battle axe. She would not take shit from anyone. She definitely didn't take shit from me. There was no pudding if I didn't eat all my dinner, no staying up late on school nights, no staying up late ever if I didn't do my homework first. I would get angry and say that mum and dad let me do what I wanted, but she wouldn't have any of that. She'd stand her ground until I did what she wanted. I might throw a tantrum and say I hated her, but that wasn't true. It dawned on me slowly that she wasn't the problem. It was confusing to be told to do stuff and be made to follow rules, and actually find out good things would come out of it, like having clean clothes and nice food. When Ashley did my homework, my teachers were pleased with me and encouraged me. When I stopped because my dad was like, what are you doing that for? My teachers were disappointed in me, and I realised that made me unhappy. Because I wasn't really free to do what I wanted at home. I was free to keep my head down and stay quiet and not get in the way. I wanted to be like the foxes. They moved about in secret, they didn't have to depend on anyone. They really were free to do what they wanted. I wasn't. Dad thought he was really clever. He thought that because he never did a day's work, he was a genius. Easy money was the best money. But we never had any money. It went out as soon as it came in. He'd splash it out on clothes and new TVs and all kinds of things we didn't need. If he'd been smart, he'd have done smart things with it. But he didn't. He just kept robbing and cheating and stealing. I don't really hate him, though. He spent money like an idiot. But he could be fun. He was a big kid. I'd come home and find he'd splashed out on a new football table or bought a games console or that we were going to a wacky warehouse or something. It was kind of spontaneous. He'd just go off and do stuff and that was pretty fun. He was dumb as fuck. But he loved me mostly and if that doesn't sound like much it's a lot more than I got from my mum. I'll never understand her. That fucking bitch. I don't know how she could come from my nan and be so different. You had to love her. That's all she cared about. You had to love her and give her all your love and affection. She'd suck all she could out of you and it'd never be enough. She was like a vampire. I remember being very little. She'd be up playing with me and looking after me and would just suddenly change. She'd go cold on me. And then nothing I could do would make her like me again. I could scream and shout and she'd look at me like I was nothing. It's like she couldn't trust it. A child had no choice but to love her. So that wasn't enough. It wasn't real. What could a stupid kid give her? She always wanted attention. Her and dad would have these rows about her flirting with other guys, but she loved that. She loved the attention. And if dad got angry and got in some fight, that was better because that meant he loved her. He used to come home in a state sometimes, blood on his shirt, Cuts and bruises, black eyes. It was all part of their thing. They'd row and fuck and row and fuck and get pissed up all over again. Dad wasn't allowed to spend more time with me than her. I had to compete with her. And she always won, of course. I remember the time he bought me a huge Scale x set. I was so happy. Me and him, we started to build it in the living room. I was never much into girly stuff. I'm still more of a tomboy. But straight away, Mum was pissed off. Said we were making a mess. She'd hoovered or swept up or whatever. You know, the bare minimum. The house was a shithole. We were building the track and she was being ignored. So she tried to get in on it and started trying to build and was getting it wrong and didn't know how to do it and got bored with it. And I kept getting annoyed with her because she wasn't doing it right and she had a strop. She was spoiling our fun because she couldn't be part of it. Went off to the toilet when I came back she was on top of Dad one hand down his trousers. I just went back to my room. The scale tricks went in a box and never came out again. Mum had me young. And Dad married her, to his credit I suppose. They tied the knot straight away. She didn't want me showing on a big day. I must have stung Nan bad. I don't think she was at the wedding. I don't think they spoke for a while. She didn't like Dad. Nan's a suburban snob. I could tell she was better off than mum and dad. She lived in a much nicer house. If cheating and scheming was so good, why did we live in this shitty council terrace? And why were we hiding behind the sofas when people came to knock at the door? Nan had two daughters. The wrong one died. Horse riding accident, I think. And then her husband, my granddad, died. I think that's when she started talking to mum again because I'd been born then, and Nan wanted to know her granddaughter. She wanted to make sure I was okay and being looked after, because she knew they couldn't be trusted to do it. She was probably lonely too. Old woman on her own, not many friends. I remember seeing her cry one time. Mum and Dad had come to pick me up, and I saw her watching from the window as I got in the car. She went away from the window when she saw me looking at her, and didn't wave goodbye. I asked Mum, why is Nan crying? And she said, because she's a silly old woman. Nan was okay to them, but they didn't bother. They called her a cow, said she was stuck up a bitch tight-fisted. She wouldn't lend them money. She refused to. She would buy things for me if they asked, but would never give them money. She was too smart for that. I knew Nan wasn't a bitch. When I taught to kids at school, life with Nan sounded a lot more like what was going on with them and their parents than what happened with mine. I wasn't even supposed to tell anyone what my dad did for a living. Mum told me not to, and that was weird because he was supposed to work at a garage. Why was that secret? I was pretty quiet as a kid. It was the safest way, just be quiet and stay out of the way. Another thing I thought I had in common with the foxes. But I could get pretty temperamental too. I would just boil over and get angry. Get so frustrated I couldn't keep it in. Like if I really wanted to do something, like get some help with my homework, and mum decided she couldn't be bothered after she said she would, I might just suddenly explode. It was always a bad idea. Mum was much better at tantrums than me. She hit me sometimes. Not all the time. Just a few times. I remember one time she picked up a belt and smacked me across the face. I don't even remember what I did to deserve it. Even she looked shocked she'd done it, but when I started to make a lot of noise, all the sympathy went. She shoved me in my room and told me to shut up. She'd do anything to make sure she got the last word in any fight. I just started to bottle everything up. I don't know what the teachers at school must have thought. They were probably afraid of mum too. The stupidest thing of all about my mum was that she had so much fucking pride. If someone accused her of being a bad parent, all hell would break loose. She could not possibly be a bad parent. I didn't tell my nan when she hit me. I was afraid if I did, mum would get angry and wouldn't take me to see her anymore. It was always best just to go along with what mum said. It hurt less. Nan didn't like the foxes. They'd shit in a garden and make a mess of the bins. And then there was the noise they'd make at night. Nan was always complaining about it, but I thought that was them singing. I thought they were cute. She thought they were nasty and dirty. One summer when I was eleven, Dad had some business abroad and Mum went with him. Mum dropped me off at Nan's and said they'd be back in about a week. But they didn't come back. Not for ages. Me and Nan were together for months. It was honestly the happiest time of my life growing up. The longer it went on, the better it was. She was strict, but she could be fun too. She bought a paddling pool for the garden, and I loved that. She liked games and she liked playing with me. She'd sit with me and build Lego and do jigsaws. She watched TV with me and let me watch what I wanted. Nan became my normal, everyday parent. We had no idea where they were, and as the weeks went by, the new school term got closer. Nan didn't have the keys to my parents' house to get all my school stuff. She had to buy new stuff, call up school, and find out what books and things I needed for the new term. And when I realised Nan was putting money on the table, it had to be part of the tennis club and the school band and other stuff, she didn't think they were stupid or a waste of money. A few weeks before school started... Nan came into the kitchen and was complaining about the foxes again. She said she could hear them at the bottom of the garden at night, and she'd found they had a nest down there. There must be baby foxes, she thought. She could hear them behind the shed. She said she wanted to call in an exterminator, but she couldn't be that cruel, so she just complained all the time instead. She wished she hadn't told me, because straight away I wanted to go out and see the foxes, and feed them and pet them, because... I didn't really understand that they were wild animals. Nan couldn't convince me. I loved the foxes. They were cute. I'd seen animals of farthing wood on TV. I just knew they were friendly, and I wanted one to stroke and love and cuddle. I wanted to see the little fox cubs. She told me I couldn't. I wasn't allowed to. And that was supposed to be that. I snuck downstairs one night. I was used to doing what I wanted in secret and I knew Nan's bark was worse than her bite. I poured the foxes a bowl of milk, and I let myself out the back door. In my bare feet, I walked across the grass to the shed, which was in the far corner of the garden. I was pretty quiet. I didn't want to scare them. There was a gap between the back of the shed and the old fence. When I got there, I couldn't really see anything. When I looked carefully... I saw a little light reflect off the eyes of a fox looking back at me. It looked like the den was just beneath the neighbor's fence. I kneeled to put the bowl down, but there was a noise above me from the roof of the shed. A boy appeared from nowhere and dropped down in front of me. I dropped the bowl and fell on my back. I was really surprised and really scared. The boy was a bit older. His face was dirty and his hair was long and a mess. He was skinny, very scrawny, and naked. I could see his willy. He let out a screech, just like the foxes did. I got up and ran back to the house. I locked the door behind me and stared out the window. Nothing happened for a moment. Then a fox crept out from behind the shed. It stood at the end of the garden and watched me. I watched him back, and after a little bit of staring, he went back behind the shed. I was scared and confused, but a little excited too. I'd just seen something weird and wonderful. A boy who lived with the foxes. I watched from my room for hours to see if I could see him again. But I didn't, and I got sleepy and went back to bed. The next day, while Nan was busy with breakfast, I went back to the garden. I went around the shed to see if I could spot the foxes or the boy. I couldn't see anything behind the shed. It was a tight space. When I walked to the patio, I noticed something really weird. The ball I'd taken out last night and left in the garden was there, by the back door, waiting for me. Nan wouldn't have done that. She'd have just taken it inside and I was sure she hadn't been out. I hadn't spilt all the milk when I'd been surprised by the boy. The foxes must have drank what was left and brought it back for me. I couldn't explain it any other way. If I'd been a bit older, I'd have thought it was a joke. But as a kid, I thought I'd really been right about the foxes all along. That they really did have their own special world. They weren't just animals. They were special and one of them could transform into a full-size boy. I was so excited. I discovered some kind of magical secret. I thought about telling Nan, but I didn't think she'd believe me, and she hated the foxes. This was going to be my secret. I liked it that way. I started to put bread out for them at night in secret. I'd stay up late and watch them, waiting for them to take it, but I'd get bored and fall asleep. In the morning, the bread was gone. Then one time, I saw a cat try to take the bread, and from nowhere the foxes showed up and scared it off. They knew I was watching every night. They'd just been waiting for me to go to sleep. They were clever, really smart. I became obsessed with foxes. I started to draw them at school, read about them in books, but I was careful not to let Nan know about them. Others would scare them off. I might never find out about their secrets. I had to be even more careful when school started, because Nan was putting me to bed earlier and making sure I was doing my homework in the evenings. Even if I didn't have any, she'd make me tell her what I'd been doing at school to check I was learning things and paying attention. Besides the foxes, things really were about as normal as possible. I had a new uniform, a new kit for sports, new shoes, nice new stationery. I felt like I was going into school a whole new person. I joined the netball team. tried to convince my nan to buy me a trumpet to play in the school band. She wouldn't budge on that one because they were expensive. So it was the recorder. But As most kids had been practising for years, I gave that up because I didn't want to be in a beginner class with little kids. I kept that secret from nan and pretended to practise in my room for a few weeks. We even started to plan for my birthday in November. It's the day before fireworks night. I didn't really think that I'd get anyone to come to a party. I never really had friends growing up. It was always the same story. I would make a friend and then want to spend every living hour with them. And when they didn't want to spend every living hour with me, they'd start avoiding me. And I would get angry and have a tantrum at them and then they wouldn't be my friend anymore. i got the reputation for being a psycho. At least that meant they left me alone rather than just bully me. But Nan was always positive. Of course your friends will want to come. She even had me starting to believe it. I was in the netball club and although they'd been mean and nasty at first, some of them noticed that I wasn't bad at it and started being nicer. I thought maybe we could have a party. I wasn't ashamed to take anyone around to my Nan's. We shouldn't have let ourselves get carried away. We both knew deep down that they'd come back eventually. There'd been no letters, no postcards, no phone calls, but they had to come back sometime. I was wishing that they wouldn't. The way I felt about them wasn't so confused anymore. I just hated them. I didn't want to live with them anymore. We drove past the garage one time. It was still open. This tall, thin guy was there, talking to the customers. I had no idea who he was but I'd find out soon enough. They showed up just before Halloween. Me and Nan were talking about what costume I could wear to the party when their knock hit the door. Me and Nan knew instantly it was Dad's knock. We felt like the rug had been pulled out from under us. Mum came in with fake hellos and happiness. She came over and hugged me while I stood like a statue. They were both tanned. Dad had a gift for Nan. A cheap bottle of wine he'd bought, duty-free. Nan was shaking. I'll always remember the sound of her voice when she said, Where the hell have you been? It was thin and croaky. Her old voice just couldn't handle how angry she was. The row began. As they stood shouting at each other, I walked off and went outside. I stood in the garden and looked out into the night, and I cried. I could have vaulted over the fence, I would have. I hoped the foxes might come out from their hiding places and lead me away. But the boy, who I now wasn't sure if I'd imagined or not, would come and take my hand and show me a way to another world where none of this was happening to me. My dad shouted at me from inside the house. I barely heard him, came out and grabbed me by the arm and said we were leaving. He went with me to my room where we threw all my stuff in bags. We're getting you out of this place, he said, as if I'd been living in some hellhole, rather than the best home I'd ever had. Mum and Nan were still rowing. I heard Nan say, You don't want her. You never wanted her. You don't even care about her. I'm a fucking mother. She stays with me. Let her stay, for Christ's sake. Oh, she's going, says Dad, and she ain't coming back either. Nan tried to grab me to hug me, but Mum got in the way and Dad dragged me outside to the car. Mum slammed the door and sat on the back seat with me for some reason, probably wanting me to feel sorry for her. You always had to feel sorry for her, what she had to put up with. She started saying bad things about Nan, saying I'd be much happier away from her. I hate you, I whispered. She heard me and said, what? So I said it again, I hate you. I said it louder and louder and louder, jumped on her and hit her, over and over, shouting, I hate you! I hate you! I hate you! Dad pulled the car over, dragged me out, put me over his knee on the curb and smacked me in the street. I lay with my face down on the back seat the rest of the journey, screaming and crying until they carried me back into that house and locked me in the bedroom. God, I hated them. I hated them from my gut. I just wanted to escape, go anywhere. Be anywhere else but in that house with them. But what could I do? I was still in primary school. They were still my parents. Whatever fantasies I had in my head, I knew I couldn't ditch them. They'd just dragged me back. There was nothing I could do. Things went back to normal. All the things I'd started to like, the regular stuff, like being picked up from school, nice food, help with the homework, all that stopped. A few quid for the netball club. What was the point of that? I used to play in the park when I was a kid and didn't have to pay for it, Dad said. You've got a football, go play in the park. Nan was a forbidden subject. I wasn't allowed to talk to her, or about her, or visit her. That was that. For weeks I barely said a word. Mum started getting angry at me for being quiet, which was weird because she used to like that before. After a few weeks she stopped cooking for me. I was old enough to do it myself, and she wasn't going to do it if all I did was sulk. I hid in my room where I spent my time drawing and making up stories. Ever since I'd seen the fox boy, I'd been trying to imagine who he might be, what he might do, where he might go. Even though I'd seen him only once, I knew that he was in charge of the foxes. I'd read that they were solitary animals, but they were working together at my nan's. I'd seen them. This was some kind of fox gang. Was he a fox or was he a boy? I came up with an Alice in Wonderland kind of story where, in the grass and weeds of the scrubland behind my nan's house, there was a portal to another upside-down world. There the foxes were human. When they went through the foxhole, this giant hidden foxhole, they came out to our world where they turned into foxes, like the foxes we see every day. And when I, because I was the star of my own story, Went to their world, the opposite happened, and I turned into an animal. I was a squirrel. They came to our world to experience what it was like to be an animal, and I went to their world to do the same. Animals were free, and they weren't cruel or selfish or nasty, not in my world anyway, because these animals were also people. The fox boy, he was the fox's dog in their world. He was their loyal guard dog, and when they came over to our world, he became a real boy but he still behaved like a guard dog and protected them. He was my best friend in both worlds because he always looked after me. It was a silly story, and it didn't make much sense. But I needed the escape. I spent my birthday at the fireworks night at the local cricket club. My parents got drunk while I stayed in the playground looking after five and six-year-olds. It was the same every year. We didn't go because I wanted to. It just happened to be my birthday. Got a new bike, at least. It was around this time that Terry appeared on the scene. They called him Uncle Terry to me, although there was no way he was my uncle. And I don't just say that because I hated him from the moment I saw him. I say it because he was tall and thin. My dad was like a pot-bellied pig. It was him I'd seen working at the garage. He had big teeth and stunk of cigarettes, even more than mum. He'd call you babe or sweetheart or gorgeous, even though I was 11 years old at the time. He was friends with dad and they seemed to know each other from years back, but I'd never set eyes on him before. Suddenly it was over a lot. Him and dad had something going on, and it wasn't just a few drinks down the pub or selling stolen cars. Terry was more careful about talking about his business. He didn't just say stuff or boast. If he saw me around, he was all charm. Pervy, weird charm. He was a bigger drinker than both mum and dad. And even more unpredictable. He might show up in the middle of the night, bringing the party with him. Dad was suddenly away doing a lot of stuff with Terry. If anyone else had got him up in the morning, my dad would have been up in arms. But when it was Terry, it was all fine. He was in awe of Terry. He seemed to want to impress him. He was always kissing up to him. Something was going on. I didn't know what. Even mum didn't seem to mind Terry being around. She didn't seem to mind him spending too much time with dad or them being woken up in the middle of the night. Whatever was going on, she was in on it too. Christmas was horrible. I got told off for not being excited about my presents. I was too old for dolls and I didn't really want to play video games. I got a new telly for my room, which was something. Even more excuse never to go downstairs. We had Christmas dinner at a pub. Terry's mob showed up. I sat around until my dad sent me home. Spent the evening on my own. New Year's Eve was even worse. Dad had a house party with the music turned up really stupidly loud. Terry's gang came over and they ended up rowing with the neighbours, yelling at them over the fence. Terry tried to climb over and start a fight. It wasn't even ten o'clock. Police showed up before midnight and there was another big row. Terry and some other guy I never saw before got arrested. The party moved to a pub down the road. They got left alone again. I remember going to my room and spotting Mum's handbag on the bed in their bedroom. It never normally left her side. The cigs were in there. I took it and found what I was looking for. Her address book. I didn't know how to get in touch with Nan. I didn't have her number. And I didn't really know where she lived. Not how to get there anyway. I wanted to speak to her so much. I wanted to hear her voice so badly. I thought she might still be up. Mum and Dad normally sent me over and we'd watch the telly. But with me not being there, would she still be awake? I rang her at about 11.30. It rang for a long time. When she picked up, when I heard her voice, I started to cry. Katie, is that you? Nan, I want to live with you. I hate this place. I hate living here. I hate my life. Nan started to cry as well. She sounded tired after I told her all that had happened over the past few months. She said it had to stop. She was going to make it stop. Mum and Dad didn't take care of me properly, and she could have me taken off them. She'd always thought about it, but now she was going to do it. Speak to a solicitor and social services and finally have me taken off them. It was music to my ears. I was so happy I thought she was going to storm through the door the next day and take me away with her, and I'd never have to see them again. I went to sleep happy. It was all going to be over, and I was going to be living somewhere else. But nothing happened. Weeks and months went by, and nothing happened. School started again, and things were just back to normal. I was too stupid to write Nan's number down. I just put the address book back in mum's bag and then when I wanted to call her again and find out she was going to save me, I couldn't. I waited ages. The call finally came in March, but it wasn't the call I wanted. Nan had had a stroke and she was in hospital. As a next of kin, mum got the call to go and see her. I remember her telling dad. Even she seemed to feel bad about it. Her mum almost dying managed to trigger something even in her dead heart. Not enough to take me along though. When I overheard them talking, I demanded I go with her but no. I was still off limits to Nan. She still hated her that much she wouldn't let me see her. When she came back from the hospital, I overheard them talking about her. Mum said Nan didn't even know what day of the week it was. Now I was in hospital for a few weeks. I begged to see her, but Mum and Dad said that was a bad idea. I would get upset by seeing her. When it was time to bring her home from the hospital, me and Mum went over to hers to tidy up. Her house was a mess. I wasn't like her. She'd been unwell a while before she ended up in hospital. She'd had several small strokes that had knocked the life out of her, bit by bit. He found out that one of the neighbours had spotted her on the floor in the living room and called an ambulance. I remember when Dad brought her over that day. She was so frail. She was always old but never acted old. She was active and determined and alive. And now she could barely stand up on her own. She looked like a skeleton. She didn't even remember who I was. Mum had to remind her. Then she said, but Katie's just a baby. Didn't know where she was and what was going on. She had to be looked after like she was a child. She had to be fed and helped into the shower. She had to be helped to dress and help down the stairs. Mum was caring at first. She looked shell-shocked when she looked at Nan. Nan was this strong, powerful person, and now she was like a cripple. Mum stayed with her and helped her like a daughter should, for a while at least. The effects started to wear off quite quickly. It didn't take her long to start complaining about what she was having to go through. What she was having to do for Nan and how disgusting it was to watch her shower or watch her use the toilet. It was always the same with her. Do some work, stick with it a little bit, start moaning about it, then moan about it all the time, then give it to me to do instead. I knew by the third day of Nan coming home that it'd be me who ended end up looking after her, so I started helping early and being helpful and trying to make things easier for Mum. I might have been a child, but I knew I was going to have to be the grown-up and help Nan get better. And she did get better, bit by bit, but it was slow. After the first few weeks, she needed even less help. She was still easily confused by things. She kept calling me Becky. That was the name of her other daughter. She kept saying she wished her mum was more like Becky. That really didn't help things. When mum realised the Easter holiday was coming up, she knew that was the time she could pass Nan on to me to look after. Dad, in a rare showing of Backbone, told her it was a bad idea, but I knew he'd cave in. Once mum started going on about how hard things were on her and started using her tears, he would just fold. I was angry and asked him if he'd be helping out. He looked at me like I was an idiot and said he'd be busy at the garage. This was obviously women's work. So every day, all Easter, I looked after Nan by myself. I had to help her up in the morning, help her onto the toilet, help her into the shower, and shower with her. Then I'd bring her downstairs and make her breakfast. We'd eat it at the kitchen table, because there was no eating off your laps in the living room in her house. I still followed all her rules. We'd sit and watch telly together. Maybe we'd talk, maybe we'd play a game. Although she was always forgetting what she was doing or where she was. It was so hard. I had to sit and talk to her about the same things over and over again. She'd been so sharp before. She would forget who I was or confuse me with Becky. And I'd try not to get upset about it. She'd get better. I knew she would. She got a little better every day, and just maybe I could stay and keep living with her. I started to tell her my stories about the foxes. She didn't seem to mind. She seemed to enjoy it. She didn't seem to hate the foxes now, but maybe that's because they didn't come around anymore. The neighbours had bought a huge guard dog who barked all the time and scared them off. To top everything else off, it looked like I'd never find out their secrets after all, or whether I'd really seen the boy or not. One night I was walking her up the stairs and she thought I was Becky again. She started to talk about me. That poor girl, Katie, she said. Adele and that ape she married. They don't look after her and they don't love her. God knows what's going to become of her. She's going to grow up dumb and stupid like he is, I know it. I'd feel so terribly ashamed about what's happened to her. She was still talking about it when I put her to bed. I should have done more for her. I'm going to regret my whole life that I didn't do more for that poor girl. You'll look after her, won't you? She brushed her hand across my cheek. You're such a good girl, not like your sister. I can always rely on you. I could barely hold in the tears and went downstairs to cry in the kitchen. Listening to the neighbour's dog bark made me think how alone I was. Even my fantasy fox friends had deserted me. I was sure she would get better. She could still help me. I could still have a home here. But Easter wasn't going to last forever. Once I went back to school, she was at the mercy of mum again. I could come over in the evenings and on the weekends, but that was all. I tried to convince them, mum and dad to let me stay at Nan's all the time. But that made them suspicious, like I was trying to run away and stay with Nan, like Nan had wanted. I don't know why they couldn't let me go. They didn't really want me, but they thought I was their property. I belonged to them, so why give me away? Their own heads, they thought they were good parents. I was just a moaning, miserable brat. I tried to tell Mom how much Nan still needed me, She snapped at me and said she didn't mean me to tell her what to do. Couldn't be sure she'd do anything right to help her. She only cared about herself. I cycled to school in the morning and over to Nan's in the evening. Nan had managed to get used to her routine. She just needed help doing certain things because she wasn't very strong. She struggled to get in and out of bed and down the stairs. Mum should have always been there to help her with that, but she'd come over when it suited her. And nan would just have to wait in bed till she got there. In a sick way, that probably helped her get better quicker. She started to remember what mum was like, so that made her get more self-sufficient. So she dragged a chair to her bed so she could grip something when she needed to get up. She started to go up and down the stairs on her bottom. You couldn't keep her down, my nan. But it wasn't enough. Not in the end. She caught a cold. Just a stupid little cold, but she was too weak. About a month after Easter things were getting better with her and even she was telling me not to go over so often. She hated me worrying about her. I was looking forward to half term so I could be there all day but she was telling me she could cope with more. Mum was only doing her shopping for her now so I was only going over a couple of nights a week and when she started blowing her nose and saying that she had a cold I didn't take it seriously. She said she was fine but she always said that. That's what people always say. I let myself in one day, and I knew the house didn't smell right. When I shouted for her, I got no answer. I got worried and ran upstairs. She'd fallen out of bed. She was staring up at the ceiling, and she wasn't moving. Pulled the duvet over her, ran downstairs, called 999. I waited for them in silence, not really believing what had happened. I remember that I was shivering I felt cold even though it was summer When they got there the ambulance people I barely said a word I just showed them upstairs and when they started to ask lots of questions that's when I started to cry I cried and cried cried Mum was sad when she came over but it was a performance She needed the people who were there to see that she was upset but she didn't really care Her and dad talked to the police and the ambulance people for hours. I talked to them too, telling them the same story over and over. When they finally stopped asking me the same stupid questions, I walked outside into the garden. I was tired from talking and crying and I wanted to be alone. I was feeling like the loneliest person in the world. And all my hope for a better life was gone. My one and only friend was gone and there was no one left. I was stuck with my parents forever. As I walked around, I hit something with my foot. There was a plate on the patio. A plate with a slice of bread on it. The plate was cracked and chipped and dirty. The bread felt fresh. I looked at it closely and saw teeth marks on the one corner. The foxes had brought me bread. They'd given me a piece of bread just the same way that I used to bring them bread before. And they'd been brave enough to come, even with the neighbour's dog barking. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what to make of it. This was proof, absolute proof that the foxes were not normal foxes. Even though I'd written all the stories, there'd still been a bit of doubt in my head that maybe I'd imagined it all. I hadn't seen them at Nan's for months. There'd still been this doubt, but now there was none. Nan wouldn't have fed the foxes. She didn't keep broken plates and she wouldn't have given them fresh bread. The foxes had left bread for me because they felt sorry for me. It was hard to really know what I was feeling at the time. But it was like knowing that someone, something out there, cared about me still. That maybe I wasn't alone after all. I can't tell you how much that meant to me at the time how it made me feel like all hope was not gone, that it stopped me from falling into total despair. In the weeks after, I found out that Nan, she still had one last trick up her sleeve. Even though she was dead, she was going to do one last thing to help me. She can't have been cold by the time Mum and Dad started talking about what they'd inherit. That night I crept out onto the landing and I could hear them trying to work out how much everything was worth. The house, the car, her pension. Who knew what money she had tucked away. They could certainly move out of this dump. No council house for them anymore. They couldn't wait to go to the solicitors to talk about the will. But they changed their tune pretty quickly. Nan left everything to me. They should have known something was up when they were told that they had to bring me with them. They barely spoke to me on the way home. The house and all Nan's money was to be put in the trust for me until I was 18. How much she had, they wouldn't tell us. I bet Nan wanted it that way, to keep it secret from Mum and Dad. Mum and Dad could live in Nan's house, but, and this was the bit that almost made me laugh out loud, they would have to pay me rent. It was a really small amount, basically to cover the costs of managing the trust. But still... I had to stop myself laughing that whole journey home. Nan had totally fucked them over. She'd given me everything I needed so that one day I could have my own home, my own money, and I could turf them out as soon as I hit 18. I had over six years to wait, but it would be worth it. Just waiting for that day, the day that I could show them the door. When we got back. I was sent up to my room and they had this blazing row in the kitchen. It was the first time hearing them fight made me happy. They tried to argue it with a solicitor, but he told them it was all perfectly legal. They could contest, of course, but they couldn't prove she wasn't sound of mind. She'd done the will ages before. They couldn't have afforded a solicitor anyway. They'd even less money than before because they'd been throwing it around because they were expecting Nan's money, and they had to pay for the funeral too. But things were worse than I knew. They were actually desperate for money. Or at least Dad was. I was on the toilet when I heard him and Terry talking outside. Something was up. Dad was panicking. And Terry was giving him a talking to. He was saying, I warned you, you should have walked away. And Dad was like, I almost had it. I was so close, all I needed was one more win. But you're in the shit now, aren't you? Jesus. Dad was begging him for help, but Terry wasn't having any of it. Sorry, old son, if I had it, I would. You know I would. But I've got it all tied up in this business, where you should have put your money like I told you. I'm fucked, Dad said. He's not going to let me work it off, is he? He doesn't know you. He ain't going to give you any work. He just wants his money. And I'm fucked. Totally fucked. Terry told him to keep his voice down. I didn't hear what Terry said next, but Dad didn't like it. He didn't like it one bit. A few days later, Dad revealed he was selling the garage. It was sold fast, and the price he got for it caused more rows with Mum. I don't know if Dad told her why he needed the money. He'd been gambling, that's my guess. But he tried to spin it another way. He needed money so he and Terry could set up their business thing. I'm guessing there was enough left after he paid off his debts for him to hand some over to Terry. I wouldn't be surprised if Terry had set the whole thing up got him into debt so he'd sell up the garage and give over half to him. Now that Nan's money was all going to me, it kind of made sense that he needed to find another way to fleece my dad out of cash. Terry wasn't his friend any more than he was my uncle. Terry was setting up a security company. That's as much as I could work out at the time. I didn't know why it was such a big deal. But I'd find out. After Nan's funeral which was just another excuse for a piss-up, we moved into her place. While I owned the house and all the money, the furniture and all the stuff inside did go to them. Presumably it was just less complicated to do it that way. They sold anything they thought might be valuable, including Nan's car, but that wasn't worth much. Dad just pretended like it was his house, and just seemed to deny that he was living under my roof. Mum had to make a bit more of an issue out of it. Don't you get any ideas, she'd say. This is our house, the family's house, and you'll do what you're told. Do you understand me? I'd just sit in silence so she'd repeat herself. Do you understand me? Her arguments always went like this now. I refused to answer, and when she'd get angry and start yelling, I'd get up and go away. If she was in a particularly bad mood, she might grab me by the hair, pull me back and shake me. Then I'd have to answer her. It was war between us now. Nan wouldn't have died if she'd looked after her. I hated that bitch and I was at the point where I wasn't shy about showing it. It helped that I'd had a bit of a growth spurt. Mum wasn't very tall. By the end of summer I was almost her height. But just because I was getting cockier doesn't mean she was less vindictive. When I ate one of her yogurts this one time and told her I didn't care, she went outside and slashed the tyres on my bike. You couldn't win. She'd go to any length to get one over on you. There's no telling when she might go off. I learnt never to joke about owning the house. When she got angry with me for not taking my shoes off, I said I didn't care because it was my house. So she said, watch this, and took a kitchen knife and scraped it across the wall, taking off the paint and plaster. If you want there to be anything left of this house when you get to 18, you better change your attitude and show me some respect. That one sunk in. Her and Dad could wreck this place and make it a dump like they did the last house. But later, when I saw Dad have a go at her for ruining the paintwork, it made her look pretty stupid. It was a rough summer. Couldn't wait for high school to start. It was a chance to meet new kids and start fresh. It was more fashionable to be stroppy and sulky and introverted there. My fashion sense was somewhere between goth and grunge. I was the girl who the other girls bought cigarettes from because I was always stealing them from Mum and Dad. They always had a big supply, either stolen or bought duty-free in bulk, and I'd steal them from Mum's handbag too, just for the hell of it. She suspected me sometimes, but never caught me. The whole house stunk of fags anyway. It wasn't like she could smell them on me. I used to smoke in the garden. They were happy to let me do the gardening, and made them think I was doing them a favour. really it was so I could get to know my fox friends better. The neighbours had got rid of the dog. I reckon they were sick of its noise too. The foxes had started sharp again. I'd seen them out of my window. I cut off the bottom corner of the shed door so they could squeeze in. I put in some dog beds and some blankets and things in there for them to keep warm and sleep on. I filled bowls and buckets with water and sometimes milk if I could sneak it out of the house. I left bread and other leftovers for them too. I wanted them to know it was a safe place for them, and they didn't need to be afraid of me, because they still wouldn't come close to me. I was still a person after all, and it was only natural they should be scared, but I wanted them to know for sure that I was a good person who wanted to be their friend. They'd come in and eat the food, and maybe sleep. I saw fur on the blankets and so on but they were always gone in the morning. I stayed up some nights waiting for them. When they saw me in the shed, they would run scared. I used to sit outside the shed instead. When they'd see me, they still weren't sure, so I'd throw them some bread, but that didn't really help. The next night, I threw them chocolate instead. That made them think I wasn't a threat, because no one nasty would throw them chocolate. They started to go into the shed with me watching. One or two of the larger foxes would stand outside and watch me, to protect the others just in case. So I'd save the chocolates and biscuits for those guard foxes, and they liked that. It got to the point where they stopped going into the shed and just waited outside for the treats. I didn't see the fox boy, but when the weather changed and the ground got softer and dirtier, I could see muddy footprints in the shed. They were very small, too small for the fox boy. These were the footprints of little children. There was more going on here than I knew about. It felt good to have this little secret world to myself. Away from everyone else. To have this magical thing going on. I was coming up to twelve, but I wasn't old and cynical enough yet to believe that magic was impossible. When you live with the kind of parents I did, you wished every day that something magical would happen and take you away from everything. I didn't know how the foxes were going to do that. But just knowing magic existed meant that maybe something good would happen. I was already going to inherit a house and maybe a fortune. Good things definitely could happen, even with mum and me being at war all summer. I was kind of positive that I had a future. But there was a big bombshell coming. On Halloween, days before my birthday, there was some totally unexpected news. Mum was wearing a sexy witch costume. She was getting older, but she didn't dress like it. She wanted me to help her with a corset. Thought I'd wear it while I still can, she said. In a couple of months, your mum's figure is going to be gone. She was trying to get my attention, but I wasn't interested. Do you hear me? Things are going to change around here. Why? I said, not really caring. You're going to have a little brother. Or sister, maybe. Hopefully there'll be less of a misery guts than you are. That came out of nowhere. I thought little brother or sister was off the table. Dad didn't look like he was up to it. With the drinking and smoking and eating, he wasn't looking very good. He was gone all hours of the day now, working late and early shifts. His and Terry's business was all about building security, looking after industrial estates and derelict buildings. This whole thing was supposed to be making us rich. It wasn't happening very quickly. I didn't even know if my little brother was going to survive the pregnancy. Not with mum's habits. She got wasted that Halloween. Surprised she didn't miscarry. She stopped smoking heavily at least. I caught her having one or two in secret, but that was pretty good for her. She only drank sometimes, too. Dad seemed pretty thrilled. He wanted a son, not some sulky girl. I couldn't carry on his legacy whatever that was. I wasn't sure what it was all supposed to mean to me. I wasn't worried about the baby having all the attention because I never got any of that anyway. If anything, having them look after the baby would take the attention away from me, make my life easier. That was a stupid thought because mum's pregnancy made her a bigger martyr than ever before. Her mood swings were worse and her tantrums more extreme. Although as she got bigger, she got slower. I was less worried about her hitting me. I pretty much was already looking after myself, making my own meals and washing my own clothes. As the months went on, I started doing these things for her too. They were both on my case if I didn't. While this was all going on, I was making better friends with the foxes. My growth spurt meant that I was tall and strong enough to climb the fence at the back of the garden. That made it much easier to do my experiments in secret. I flattened some grass and started to sit there with my treats ready for them. And when it was dark, one by one they'd come for the chocolate and milk and bread and sometimes biscuits, whatever I could steal or buy with my cigarette money. And just slowly over the weeks and months they started to let me touch them. They were getting more comfortable with me. Some were scared, but some were more confident. Some I started to recognise night after night. There was one with a patch on his forehead, another with a damaged ear. There was one with a little limp. Patch, as I called him, seemed the most confident. Most of them jumped back if you put your hand near them, but noticing Patch was one of the first to always arrive, I started to give him more than the others. And then one night, when he was drinking milk, I just reached out and stroked his forehead. He seemed not to care about it. I stroked him across the head and behind the ears and he didn't seem to mind. I couldn't stay out long because it was winter and it was freezing. But when it got warmer I could spend more time outside. I'd talk to them and tell them about what was going on. but all the stuff with mum and the baby and creepy Uncle Terry and whatever was going on with school. I don't know when I first realised I was being watched. Not by the neighbours or my parents, I was always careful about sneaking out and I always spoke quietly. And it never went out when the neighbours were in their gardens. But at night, when the trains went by in the distance, light would shine through the grass and weeds and I could see him. He'd be a few dozen feet away, watching me silently. The fox boy. He was checking up on me, making sure I wasn't being cruel to his foxes. He was their protector. I'd been right all along. When I spoke to the foxes, I wasn't really speaking to them. I was really speaking to the boy. I wanted him to hear me. I wanted him to know who I was. And I wanted him to know that I was a bit in love with him. And as time went on, he seemed to get closer, just a little bit closer every day. By the time mum was ready to give birth, the foxes were like kittens. I could hold them in my lap and stroke them. They were starting to fight for my attention. They would only come out when it was dark, so it was hard to see them by the time it got around to summer again. I had other stuff going on, like exams. School was okay, and of all the years I spent living with my parents, this was a pretty stable time. Mum was distracted with the baby stuff and was enjoying the attention. I just had to help her out here and there and keep myself quiet, and she wasn't much of a problem. I had some friends at school, but I still kept to myself mostly. I didn't really think people wanted me around. My parents didn't, why would anyone else? I hung around with the smokers mostly, where they hid around the back of the gym, where they thought the teachers wouldn't see us. I also started to get noticed by boys. I think because I was tall, I looked a bit older. I sort of experimented a bit, but I wasn't really interested in them. They weren't really interested in me either, they were just using me. I knew it, and it was fine. There was only one boy I was really interested in. I wasn't sure how old he was, or if he was even real, but he was my hero. The others were just distractions. Mum gave birth in June. I got home one day and there was a note on the fridge to say she'd gone to the hospital. I didn't like rush or anything. I was totally not excited about it. I just figured the kid, we knew it was a boy by then, was going to be a noisy pain and I'd end up cleaning up after it. I phoned up the hospital, found out where she was and took my bike over there. I didn't even ask if she was okay. I just thought everything would be fine. Dad was thrilled with his baby boy. She looked like she was over it already. Dad showed me him, little baby Connor. I fell for that little bugger straight away. All the teenage, not bothered stuff just went. It was as if all the maternal instincts skipped a generation. In like seconds, I literally went from not caring to going, oh, look at his little face, his little eyes, his little nose. He was pretty cute when he was quiet. He was difficult at first, even more difficult than I was, apparently. I think of those days when Connor was born, and they make me feel really happy now. Even though at the time it was really hard, I still had school and mock exams to do, and I had to look after this screaming child, and the baby she'd just had. Mum loved Connor when he was quiet or giggling or smiling, but the second he was trouble, she'd bitch and she'd complain until she realised that I was much better at getting him to quieten down. Then she got jealous, but she still wasn't any better at it. I didn't complain. I got to love it. Changing him, holding him, feeding him. I just didn't mind. I just took to it. I didn't get annoyed at having to get up in the night to feed or change him, but when I'd look at those little blue eyes and that quiff of blonde hair, I couldn't stay mad even if I had an exam in the morning. I could let mum get up and take care of him, and sometimes I did. I was too worried about her doing it wrong. I was watching her all the time and trying to get her to hold his head up properly and heat his bottle upright. I had to try and do it subtly, but sometimes just had to shout at her. That'd cause a row, but I'd stand my ground when it came to Connor. Anyway, the more I went on at her, the more she got annoyed and let me do it. And for once, that was fine. Whenever I got home from school, it was straight to Connor to see how well she'd looked after him. Give him a full inspection, see if he'd been changed, see whether she was watching him or listening to the baby monitor. If he wasn't changed or he was crying and she was nowhere, I'd go apeshit. Connor bought out Dad's generous side. He was all over him. There was nothing you wouldn't buy that baby. He spent so much money on gear, stuff we didn't even need. Not for months at least. He even pitched in to help sometimes. Maybe he was feeling guilty for not being around enough. He was working weird hours, lots of them. He wouldn't tell me why, but he said it'd pay off in the end. Terry knew what he was doing. Couldn't spend much time with my foxes while all this was going on. I still left food for them most nights. I'd spend time with them while Connor was asleep and I was sure mum was watching him. I'd tell them all about him while he was learning what sounds he was starting to make, and the boy would watch and I'd pretend not to stare at him back. One night, after I'd been to feed the foxes, I saw Dad talking to someone by the front door. It was the police. I asked him what was going on. He was worried but pretended not to be. He said he'd be back later. Don't tell Mum. She'll only get worried. Dad didn't get back for hours. was very late, but not late enough for Terry. He banged on the door after midnight and woke us all up. They had a long, not very quiet chat, the three of them. I knew something big was up, but I didn't want to know, and they weren't going to tell me anyway. Things were tense for days. I'd walk into the room and mum and dad would suddenly stop talking. I asked and mum said it was none of my business. I tried dad when he was alone and he said, it's nothing you need to worry about, love. It's going to work itself out. He wasn't convincing. I don't think I'd ever seen him afraid before. He was actually scared. I could see it behind his eyes. The night before he died, I walked in on him in the bathroom. He was sat on the toilet with all his clothes on. He was smoking a fag and just sitting there. I told him he should just tell me what's going on. It's just all bullshit, he said. They got nothing on me. The pigs would have to get up pretty early to catch me out. He said it was all just some problems with work, but he was going to sort it out. Me, you and your mum, we're going to go on to bigger and better things. I promise. Things are going to be a whole lot better soon, sweetheart. He was just lying, so I walked off and used the downstairs toilet and went to bed. Mum woke me up in the morning and told me to get dressed. When I got downstairs, Terry was there waiting in the kitchen. That's when they told me Dad had been out drinking and died in a car accident. He'd got hammered at this pub out of town, gone in his car and gone too fast down a country road. he lost control, landed in a ditch, gone through the windscreen and died of head injuries. When they'd finished talking. I just got up and I left. Mum shouted at me, aren't you going to say something? That was your father, where's your respect? I didn't see her crying. I didn't see her shed one single tear. I didn't really know what to feel. It confuses you having bad parents because you hate them, but they're still part of you, and part of you will always want them to love you and care about you. He was a prick and he was a thief and a criminal. But he was still my dad. And he wasn't all bad. Not when it came down to it. There were times when he could be normal and he could pretend that he loved me. It wasn't all bad. Not with him. He was an idiot, not a monster. I still hated crying about it because part of me did hate him. And then I hated myself more for crying over him when he didn't deserve it. He brought this on himself. He'd done this to himself. I had nothing I could do with my anger or my pain. It was the summer holidays and I had nowhere to go to and no one to talk to. Not that I had friends I could rely on anyway. At night, I went out to see my foxes, but talking to them just made me remember how lonely I was. They were just animals. And they were my only real friends. When the foxes saw I had no food for them, they started to mope off. When I saw him watching me from the distance, I shouted at him, What are you looking at? What do you want? Why won't you say something? We had this thing going on for months, and all he did was stand there and say nothing. What was wrong with him? Why didn't he want to come near me? I could stroke the foxes in my lap, but he'd stand there like a statue. Always close, but too far away. It was like he didn't want me either. Things went from bad to worse. At Dad's funeral, Terry was sat with us on the front row, acting like he was one of the family. I still couldn't see what was staring me in the face. He and Mum were sat together drinking at the meal afterwards. By the evening, the whole thing was out in the open. I'd gone home with Connor early. I'd put him to bed, but he'd woken up and i just spent almost an hour trying to get him back to sleep again when Mum and Terry got back home. I was going to yell at them for the noise, but then I saw them in the kitchen. All over each other. That's when it all fell into place. It never did make sense that Dad was getting hammered miles away from home in a pub he'd never been to before, but it did if it was a set-up. I knew Terry was there that night. He told us he'd left hours earlier, but that's not what happened. He got Dad tanked up, stuck him in a car and let him drive back knowing he'd go off the road and get himself killed. He could get Dad to do anything, Terry. I bet it was that easy. And Mum had to be in on it. The speed in which Terry moved in after Dad died. They must have been at it for months. They didn't even wait to make it look decent. I didn't pay attention to what Mum's comings and goings were, not unless she was looking after Connor. She could have been fucking in while I was at school, while Dad was at work. She went out a lot. She had plenty of chances. No wonder Mum didn't care that Dad was working all hours. She was getting plenty of attention from someone else. Terry had Dad wrapped around his little finger. Why not give him late shifts so he and Mum could screw behind his back? It was like having the rug pulled out from under me. It took time to really put it all together. If Mum and Terry had been having an affair... How far back did it go? How long had it been? Because I had a new baby brother. A little brother almost 13 years younger than me. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to work it all out. Connor wasn't my dad's. He was Terry's. No wonder Terry was round all the time asking about him. Why not get rid of dad so him and mum could be the perfect couple? And Connor's eyes were blue. Mums were brown and so were dad's. But Terry's eyes were bright blue. And that's when the biggest bombshell hit. My eyes are blue too. I was already as tall as mum. I was tall and thin like Terry. I looked nothing like my dad. Nothing at all. They'd known Terry for years. I knew that. They'd known him way before I'd ever met him. He'd been away or something. Probably in prison. All those fights between mum and dad over her flirting with other men. He knew, didn't he? He knew she was a whore who'd fuck anyone. She'd done it before. She'd probably done it with dozens of men. Why not? She didn't give a fuck about anyone. Dad had never given her another kid in almost 13 years. What if he'd never been able to do it? What if he'd always been firing blanks? Can you imagine what it's like? Growing up feeling like you don't mean shit. That not even your parents want you. Your parents are bad people the kind of criminals you watch getting put in prison on TV, and you're their kid, Then their poison is in your body, and you carry that with you, that you're worthless because you're the cast-off of the worst kind of people, and not even they want you. You're even worse than they are. Imagine finding out that you're even worse than that, that your own mother is the sort of woman who'd kill your father, and that he might not even be your father, that you are from something worse. The type of man who looked at a 13-year-old girl and eyed her up and talked like he was thinking about fucking her. I wanted to be sick. I wanted to slip my wrists and let all the poison out. I didn't want to live. The idea of waiting a few years to inherit some money wasn't good enough anymore. I was poisoned. I wouldn't make it. I wasn't worth it. I hated myself more than I could live with. I just snapped. I didn't know how to do it. I used to hurt myself but with blunt things. I never used knives to cut myself and I didn't want to be saved, not by them. I wanted it over and I wanted it over fast. So I went over the fence again but I didn't stop and wait for the foxes. I walked through the overgrown grass and weeds and down the bank. I went over the disused rail line and over the train line that still worked. A chain fence blocked it off. A train went past. I watched it like a zombie. I walked along the fence until I found a place where it was broken enough for me to squeeze through. There was this part near a concrete post that just lifted right up. I could crawl under if I wanted to. I stood there shaking. I don't know if I could have done it or not. I don't really remember what was going on in my head. Maybe I was scared. Maybe I was waiting for a train to come. I heard footsteps and saw the fox boy was standing by me. He was standing as close to me as he was that first day I saw him. He slapped me in the face. I fell against the fence. It was a complete shock. He grabbed my hair and pulled me away from the fence. I screamed and I shouted at him. I was being hysterical. He pulled me along for a few metres until I got my balance back and I pulled away from him. I fell down in the grass. I was never really sure how old he was. Sometimes he looked young, barely older than ten. Then other times he seemed closer to twenty. Maybe it was just how he needed to be, small when he needed to be fast, big when he needed to be strong. He was strong just a minute ago, but now he was smaller, less big, less threatening. But still angry, he looked furious. I got up and started shouting random things. What's wrong with you? You hurt me! Before I got hysterical again and burst into tears. I was on all fours crying and he just watched me. He said nothing. But then, another voice said, You have to protect your cubs. It was the voice of a little black girl. She can't have been more than six or seven years old. She wasn't even as tall as the grass. She wore a tatty dress and no shoes and her hair was a mess. There's nothing more important than your cubs. You have to protect them. You have to all of the time. She was a little bossy boots. She had trouble saying all the words, but she had no problem making herself clear. They were talking about Connor He's not my cub. I'm not his mother. He's nothing to do with me. The fox boy kicked the ground in anger. Bits of mud flew at me. It's your responsibility, the little girl said, although she couldn't pronounce it properly. You've got to look after him because he has no one else to do it. I can't do it, I screamed. I can't carry on. The fox boy came over to hit me and I screamed. He changed his mind and turned away and kicked at the ground again. You're so selfish, the girl said. Your little brother needs you to look after him or else. Or else what? I asked. She never said. He hissed at me. I never imagined him so aggressive or angry. I'd done nothing wrong. I couldn't take it anymore. I was at the end of my teller. I felt too worthless, too wrong, too dirty. Foxes appeared in the grass. They ran towards her. Your brother's crying. You have to go home. Why do you care? Who are you? What are you? The fox boy beat his chest and threw his arms around. She knew what he was saying. She was like his translator. He says you have to go back home and stop thinking about yourself. She turned around and started to walk away, saying, bad things happen to little children who don't get looked after. They left me there in the dark. Or did they? From then on I felt like they were always watching me. I walked home. Connor was crying. Mum and Terry were fucking. I went upstairs and changed him and got him back to sleep. But I was crying about as much as he was. I was trapped there. I was trapped there and I saw no future. Not for myself. Or for him. I felt so worthless. Terry didn't waste any time moving himself in. He had his stuff over in a week. Nothing was ever said. Mum never talked to me about it. They were always fucking. At first, anyway. Mum looked so pleased about it. It was as if she wanted me to be jealous. I tried not to talk to him, which would wind Mum up. She'd yell at me and I'd ignore her. He'd say I just missed my dad, like he was standing up for me. She'd say... Yeah, but you're here now, aren't you? I swore that day that I would never, ever call him Dad. Everything was always tense from then on. I was always on edge. He was this man, a killer, living in my house. And he was unpredictable. I knew my Dad. I knew what made him tick. All I knew about Terry was that he was a bastard and a pervert and a murderer. I hated the way he looked at me. The grin with the big teeth. He acted like an animal on the prowl, like he was a coiled spring. He could go from calm to angry in the click of your fingers. I actually started to miss my dad. Terry was around a lot more. He worked a lot less hours than Dad did, which was no surprise. He probably let Dad do all the work while him and Mum were screwing somewhere behind his back. After a couple of weeks, it was as if Dad had never existed. All his things were gone. Terry kept his work private and I didn't dare ask him about it. He had this way of looking at you so you knew that whatever he was doing was none of your business. He was always on his mobile, big chunky old one. He took his calls where he thought I couldn't hear. And even when I did listen in really carefully, he never said much. He'd speak in really short sentences, always just a few short words so someone listening like me would never get it. I could barely sleep at night. He had to know about Nan's will. He knew that the house belonged to me and that if I went, Mum would get it and then he'd get it. I'd barricade my door at night and start to panic if I heard him outside. I couldn't rely on Mum to stop him. Why should she? She already looked away once. Why would she stop with me? She didn't even like me. I might have wanted to kill myself but that's a lot different than wanting someone else to kill you. I was terrified of him and what he might do. There were days when I didn't want to get out of bed and I cried myself to sleep. I planned my escape route out of my room. How could I get out the window and across the garden if he got through the door? Only Connor kept me going. He'd done nothing wrong. What had he done to deserve all this? If I wasn't there to look after the little sod, who else would? I felt so guilty about trying to kill myself. I would have left him alone. His little face was all that kept me going. As much as I hated the poisoned blood we both had, knowing that I could protect him was worth hanging on for. But it was never easy. I hated it when Terry was with Connor. It was bad enough that he was his real father, but to see him touching him, holding him, that made me sick. Terry liked to play games with people. This one time I managed to get Connor asleep and I saw Terry watching us. He could do that, sneak up on you without you noticing. You're really good with him, you are. I didn't say anything, I just kept staring. You should do this full time, you know, looking after kids. You'd be good at it, make a nice little job for you. I was waiting for him to go, but he wouldn't. I couldn't stand him watching me. I put Connor in his crib and tried to get out of the room. but Terry wouldn't move. I tried to get round him, but he wouldn't shift. I want to get past. What's the magic word? Can I get past, please? He moved and stretched out his arm and said, Oh, after you, your majesty. He was always doing shit like that, letting me know he was in control. He Didn't care that I hated him, as long as I knew he was in charge. He leered at me a lot. I was still a child, but he used to look at me and make comments about my clothes and my look. It creeped me out and what's worse is I think mum knew and would try to rub it in my face that they were together. Like throw herself over him if I came into the room and stare like she wanted to see if I was jealous. It was disgusting. Terry wasn't a pushover like dad. Mum couldn't bully or manipulate him. He wouldn't have that. He was even more old-fashioned than dad. He expected dinner on the table and the house to be cleaned up. That was her job. That's why she was at home all day and he was at work. They were rows, but Mum ended up doing what she was told because Terry wasn't going to be told anything different. If she threw a tantrum and tried to get his sympathy, Terry would walk away. If she didn't make dinner, suddenly there'd be less money. She hadn't earned it. If she was whinging about something, he'd leave and go out. Dad used to be worried about the attention Mum was getting from other guys. But now it was the other way round. She was worried he was going to go off and find someone else. It got to be a bit of fun watching her be manipulated. End of the day, she needed him. She wasn't getting money from anywhere else, and she was still waiting for the big payoff, the one Dad always said was coming. Terry kept saying things were going to pay off, and there was big cash starting to come in, but that was just to keep her on the hook. After getting rid of all Dad's stuff, Terry made himself at home in the attic. He cleaned out all the junk that had been up there since before Nan died and started to go up there randomly and spend time by himself. He used to call it his office. No one was allowed up there. I could hear him moving about late at night. I didn't go up and look because there was no way he could get up there without anyone hearing. I was tempted sometimes when they were out, but I figured I was better off not knowing. I still might get caught then. Couldn't go taking chances. I didn't know what he was capable of. I was afraid all of the time. When school started again, I had to worry about mum looking after Connor. I fed him and changed him in the morning and I got home as soon as possible after school to check he was still okay. I didn't see or talk to the foxes for the rest of the summer. I was angry with the fox boy. He'd hurt me, been angry with me. I felt betrayed by him. He'd saved my life but I didn't feel like that. He'd stopped me from doing what I thought I had to do. I hated him because he'd stopped me. And I hated him because I knew he was right. I'd almost left Connor behind me. I'd almost left Connor behind. And I hated myself for being so selfish. And I hated the fox boy for making me hate myself. I was so mixed up. I didn't know what I wanted. He'd not been the hero I wanted him to be that I thought he was. He was more like an animal. And I wasn't sure what to think anymore. Thank you for listening to the New Ghost Stories podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash Stories. You can also support the podcast by liking or leaving a review on any platform and subscribing to hear future releases. Today's story features in the book 14 New Ghost Stories, which is available from Amazon, Apple Books, and other book retailers. This podcast is written, presented, and produced by me, David Paul Nixon. If you'd like to read more from me, visit my substack at davidpaulnixon.substack.com. You can find out more about New Ghost Stories at my website, newghoststories.com. And for all the latest updates, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at New ghost Stories. Next time on the New Ghost Stories podcast, a mother must protect her cubs and take on the predator that's invaded her home. The New Ghost Stories podcast is supported by Horrified, the website that celebrates and champions British horror, covering films, television, books, fiction and more. You can visit Horrified at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk and find them on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at horrifiedmag.